0: As
1: far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Welcome
0: to the Gangs of Hollywood Podcast. Hey gang, welcome to our first episode, Uh, probably should do a little bit of an introduction, my name is Witch, some of you may know me from Witch vs the Doomsday Clock and a number of other shows that are on the Legion Podcast Network. For those of you that don't, welcome, give you a bit of an understanding about uh, the reason behind this show, Um, on Boxing Day 1906... The story of the Kelly Gang opened at the Athenaeum Theatre in Melbourne. It was the first multi-reel feature-length film ever produced in the world. And it happened right here in Australia. Now, the film caused a lot of controversy by presenting the Kelly gang sympathetically. The Victorian government at the time actually tried to censor it, uh, despite the fact that the public had flocked to screenings of it around the around the country and around the world. So, when you get an understanding of that, you know, this is a movie about a gang of criminals in a country that has a history filled with tales of criminals, and it showed them in a sympathetic light, and it's kind of no wonder, growing up, With a history like that, that I've always gravitated towards movies about gangs and gangsters. So, Gangs of Hollywood podcast is all about my love of these movies and sharing it with you, the listener, and as many of my podcasting friends and heroes as possible. In our first episode, I've decided to have a look at one of the most famous modern street gang movies, 1979's The Warriors. I'm not gonna lie, I have an unashamed love of this movie, and I uh, hope you do too. Let's go to the trailer and then come back with a little bit of an info.
2: These are the armies of the night.
1: Can you dig it? Can you dig it?
2: The Furies. The Boppers The Hi-Hats The Lizzy's The Turnbull AC's The Gramercy Riffs And these are the Warriors We know about the Warriors, they're a heavy outfit They're from Coney Island
3: Warriors? You guys are the big dudes, huh?
2: Now they're in the Bronx. We're going back. 27 miles behind enemy lines. It's the only choice we got. Between them and safety stand 20,000 cops oh, 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 oh. and 100,000 sworn enemies.
1: I want them all. I want all the warriors.
2: They've got one way out. They've got one chance. They've got one night. The Warriors.
0: Alright, right, runtime on this movie, according to IMDb, is one hour and 32 minutes. I actually watched the ultimate director's cut, which runs one hour, 33, 46. IMDb says that Cyrus, the leader of the most powerful gang in New York City, the Gramercy Riffs, Calls a midnight summit for all the area gangs, with all asked to send nine unarmed representatives for the conclave. A gang called the Warriors are blamed for killing Cyrus as he gives his speech. They now have to cross the territory of rivals in order to get to their own hood. The Warriors slowly crossed the dangerous Bronx and Manhattan territories, narrowly escaping police and other gangs every step of the way. That's actually not a bad description. Uh Rating on IMDb is 7.6 out of 10, and it got an R rating. Now, I'm not really sure why. Yes, there is some violence. There's not really a lot of blood, uh and there is zero nudity. So, uh, interesting. But nonetheless... It's an R. Right now you can see it with no problem at all. Was directed by Walter Hill. This is a director whose name we're going to hear a lot more on this podcast. He directed uh, Bullet in the Head, Last Man Standing, Red Heat, Streets of Fire, The Long Riders, Johnny Handsome, Trespass, and a whole heap of others. So, the movie stars Michael Beck as Swan. Best known for probably this movie, uh, Xanadu in 1980, and Megaforce in 1982. I remember this guy being like the next big thing, and then really just disappearing. Uh, It also stars James Remar as Ajax. Uh, known for being a TV mainstay for probably more than 40 years with a few movies to his credit. Personally, I'd probably think of him as Dexter's dad from the series Dexter and most recently as Peter Gamby in the CW series Black Lightning. Final person I want to mention is David Patrick Kelly as Luther. This is actually his first credited role, and considering that he's pretty much been a TV and movie mainstay, he's definitely one of those I-know-that-guy type actors that people see him and automatically get that picture in their head. Um, I personally always remember him from 1994's The Crow, which we will definitely be covering on this show at some stage. In terms of facts, there's a few kicking around. The movie was based on Sol Yurik's 1965 novel, novel of the same name, which was in turn based on Xenophon's Anabis. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, The story centres on a New York gang who must make an urban journey for 30 miles, or 48 kilometres for those of you outside of the US. It was released in the United States on February 9, 1979. And the soundtrack features music by Barry D. Vorzon. A very heavy synth soundtrack, but very, very cool. Uh, A little interesting note was that apparently after reports of vandalism and violence, Paramount temporarily halted their advertising campaign and released theatre owners from their obligation to show the movie. The Warriors has, of course, since become a cult film and has spawned multiple spin-offs, including a video game and a comic book series. One of the things that I thought was a little bit weird was the original rights to Sol Yurik's novel were purchased by American International Pictures in 1969. No film resulted from that, and I think we could all be thankful. It would have been a very different movie if it had been produced by American International. And finally, on September 13, 2015, there was a Last Subway Ride reunion, uh, which was a festival in Coney Island, celebrating the film, organised by Eric Navis. Several actors from the film also recreated the subway ride home. It was filmed by Rolling Stone magazine and included Michael Beck, David Harris, Dorsey Wright. Thomas G. Waits, Terry Mikos, and some other cast members. Well, that's all kind of cool. Um, probably enough to do with the facts. Let's take a break and listen to a promo for a podcast that I would gladly have at my back in a fight, and then we'll go through the beats of the movie.
4: Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds?
0: Ah, oh, Nick necro- So if we just go through the general beats of the movie, it opens up with flashbacks between the gang talking amongst each other about going to the the conclave and, you know, what they think of of Cyrus and what's going on and the fact that they obviously have to go into the Bronx uh, unarmed and really unprepared for facing potentially a thousand other gang members and their concerns, which is kind of cool. You know, right at the nine-minute mark, we see the, you know, the enormous crowd that is is assembled in their different outfits and gang colours and everything else and Cyrus goes into his speech which is uh, look, it is one of my favourite parts of this movie it's, it's the whole can you dig it speech and you know everyone's pumped and they're ready and fully prepared to take over the entire city because apparently they outnumber the police three to one
1: can you count suckers I say the future is ours. If you can count. Come on, Cyrus, we're with you. Go ahead, bro. Now look what we have here before us. We've got the Saracens sitting next to the Jones Street boy. We've got the Moon Runners right by the Van Cortlandt Rangers. Nobody is wasting nobody. That is a miracle. And miracles is the way things ought to be. You're standing right now with nine delegates from 100 gangs. And there's over 100 more. That's 20,000 hardcore members, 40,000 counting affiliates, and 20,000 more not organized, but ready to fight. 60,000 soldiers. Now, there ain't but 20,000 police in the whole town. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it?
0: Not long after Cyrus has sort of got the crowd into a frenzy, he is killed by luther the leader of the rogues and then subsequently tries to blame cleon the leader of the warriors for the murder um who is now (laughs) cleon is like just smashed the 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 riffs jump on top of him and beat him down as everyone attempts to escape we very quickly see the rest of you know the rest of the gang is trying to disperse as the police come in and try and break it up we're focused on the warriors and they sort of make a run for it they also they stop and get a breather in a graveyard of all places, why not? And Swan, who I mentioned earlier, becomes war chief for the gang in the absence of Cleon. Uh, obviously, they're all scared, you know, they want to know how they're going to get home, what happens with the truth? This is the point where we're actually first introduced to the radio DJ, who I absolutely love in this movie, um, because the riffs put out a hit on the Warriors, and the best way to get it out to everybody is playing it across the radio.
3: For all you bumpers out there in the big city, all you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Riffs. It's a special for the Warriors. That's that real live bunch from Coney, And I do mean the Warriors. Here's a hit with them in mind.
0: As that track then plays, Nowhere to Run To by Martha and the Vandellas. Uh, we get a montage of the gangs including the Baseball Furies gearing up ready to go and fight and basically annihilate the Warriors there's a lot of running, there's a lot of hiding uh, we get our first probably chase scene in here with the Turnbull ACs as they manage to uh, corner them as the Warriors try to get onto a train, as they manage to get onto a train, now apparently the there appears to be some sort of unstated protocol that the, the subways are neutral ground and you know there can't be any gang warfare there but nonetheless the ACs, chase them, and the Warriors get away. They kind of think they're home free only to see that someone has set fire to, to a building right alongside the tracks causing the train to be stopped indefinitely, meaning that they are now stuck in the middle of the city with really no other way to get home but walk. We then go through a sequence where they meet the orphans who are a, what they call a low level gang, uh, that are not important enough to have been invited to Cyrus's meeting, but nonetheless have the numbers in that area. We're also introduced to Shelley.
1: He means mercy. Don't worry, folks. He'll get it right later.
0: And Shelley becomes obviously a key part of the movie because she's trying to get out of that, well, absolute slum and and hook her her cart onto something a little better. Um, There is a brief standoff between the orphans and the warriors which ends in a molotov cocktail being thrown and i thought you're beauty and the warriors managed to get away we're then hitting the 42 minute mark and we hear from the dj again
3: okay let's get down to it boppers we're gonna have to do better out there our friends just made it past one of the minor league teams remember boppers be looking good
0: when the Warriors arrive at the 96th Street and Broadway Station in Manhattan, now bearing in mind, I'm from Australia. I don't know where any of these places are. I'm guessing that they're far apart. Um, I wouldn't want to try and make a, a run of any distance like that, only because I'm out of shape. But, nonetheless, when they arrive at the 96th Street and Broadway Station in Manhattan, they're actually chased by the police and separated. Three of them, Vermin, Cochise and Rembrandt, uh, take the train to Union Square, which is where they're all supposed to meet, while Fox, struggling with the police officer falls onto the tracks and is run over by a train while mercy escapes which is lucky for mercy although she didn't really help so at this point swan and the three remaining warriors ajax snow and cowboy uh a chase by the baseball furies unless this is the point where you get um Some really heavy synth rock uh, in the soundtrack, and there's a fight in the park, which is kind of cool. And it always makes me wonder, you know, did they go through that makeup sequence every day? You know, do do they have jobs? I know this is in the future, but nonetheless, it's just it's one of those things that seems like a lot of effort to go. The Warriors man managed to outwit the their attackers, and they head on out. Fortunately, we get an update from the DJ, which goes like this
3: latest sports news off the street boppers. The baseball furies dropped the ball, made an error. Our friends are on second base and trying to make it all the way home. But the inside word is that the odds are against them. Stay tuned, boppers. Stay tuned.
0: At this point, Vermin, Cochise and Rembrandt all manage to arrive at Union Square and are met by a group of uh, lovely young ladies who are members of a gang called the Lizzies and they're invited to their hideout. We then cut back to the park where Ajax decides that he wants to... uh, make time with a woman sitting on a park bench at night. Which doesn't seem like a smart idea really, but nonetheless, uh, for both people involved, to be quite honest. Uh, As it turns out, Ajax gets rather handsy and very aggressive and that woman turns out to be an undercover police officer. Ajax is subsequently beaten by the police and taken away. Having scouted out on his own, Swan returns to the 96th Street station and finds Mercy there. They're cornered by a police officer who Swan dispatches by throwing a baseball bat at, which is like that he had it, and they run off into the tunnel. Meanwhile, Vermin, Cochise, and Rembrandt are happily being seduced by the Lizzie's, and they look like they're having a fantastic time. We're now deep in the tunnel, and we get a scene between Swan and Mercy, who uh, is chock full of sexual tension but nothing comes of it other than the fact that a rather rough kiss and Swan pretty much just says, does not want a bar over and heads towards Union Square. Cut back to Vermin, Cochise and Rembrandt, who are still enjoying themselves with the Lizzie's, uh, who then all of a sudden turn on them, pulling guns, knives and everything else in an attempt to obviously capture them and get the reward. This is the point where actually the gang find out that they've been blamed for Cyrus's murder, which obviously completely freaks them out out. Cut to the point where Swan reunites with the remaining warriors at Union Square. We get a quick fist fight, well not really quick, there's a bit of slow mo in this, with a uh, a bunch of roller skating overall clad punks. And it's interesting that this is like nineteen seventy nine, so it's it's pre the I suppose the global punk era. So punks here are they almost look like hillbillies to a certain degree, overalls and striped shirts and long hair. Um not what you would traditionally call punks, but nonetheless, there is a fairly, you know, there's a fairly big fight, a lot of slow-mo, uh hitting around 116 and uh it, and of course it's accompanied by some fantastic synth rock. Meanwhile, the riffs are visited by a gang member who attended the early gathering and actually saw Luther shoot Cyrus. Everything is coming together, but the Warriors are still running. Now, Bruce and Beaton, the Warriors finally arrive at Coney Island at dawn, and Swan gets off the the train, and he looks out across the city, and you can hear seagulls and everything else, and the look on his face is just, he's completely just wasted. He's worn out. He's had enough. He can't take any more. And his comment is, we fought all night for this. And it's like you know what you know. I've gone as hard as I can go. I've taken as much as I can take. And, and it was really all for this. And, and you can see that he's he's beginning to question whether it's all really worth it. Heading down, you know, back into Coney Island and back into the safety of the abandoned amusement park. They are confronted by the rogues in their vehicle. And of course, we get the now famous warrior come out to play sequence that say warriors to anybody and 9 out of 10 times they will give you that response this ends in a one on one standoff between Luther and Swan uh, which I don't get because Luther clearly has a gun but nonetheless, Swan manages to dodge the shot and stab Luther in the arm, disarming him at the same time. Just as the Rogues are about to attack, the riffs announce themselves. And there are a lot of riffs. We sort of, we see a closeout shot as... The warriors walk away, the riffs have given them the all clear and they begin to just descend on the rogues. As they descend on the rogues and you hear Luther just screaming for his life. We get a quick drop in as the gang just walks off into the sunset and we hear the radio DJ one more time. Good
3: news, boppers. The big alert has been called off. It turns out that the early reports were wrong. All wrong. Now for that group out there that had such a hard time getting home, sorry about that. I guess the only thing we can do is play you
0: a song. Now, my favourite scene in this movie, and I've already said it earlier, but it is the big meaning to see, um, all the gangs come together, the costuming, the, the number of, just the logistics of getting them all together and the way that they're pointed out. Um, I made a really quick list of the gangs that, uh, you know, that I can see or, you know, get called out. There's the Warriors, Gramercy Riffs, the Rogues, Turnbull ACs, uh, the Orphans, who we're only get a mention, obviously, later in the movie, Baseball Furies, the Lizzie's, the Punks, the Boppers, the Hurricanes. Why don't my favourites, the hi-hats, which all dress like mimes, the electric eliminators, the Saracens, the Jones Street Boys, Savage Huns, who you only see very briefly getting on a getting on a train. Um, Satan's Mothers, Boyle Avenue Runners, Moon Runners, Van Cortland Rangers, Panzers, and Gladiators. There are a few others that you see, but you don't see them long enough, or you they're not there long enough, probably to, to be identified. But that's still a heck of a lot of gangs. In terms of leader of the pack for this movie, as in the, the person or the thing that I thought really stood out, it's gotta be the Radio DJ played by Lynn Thigpen. Lynn's done heaps of TV, including, you know, voice acting a lot of police procedurals and the one that made me probably laugh the most was that she is the voice of Luna, the moon in Bear in a Big Blue House. For anyone of a certain age or anyone that has kids that's a fun kids program. Think about that the next time you see it and you think no, she's the DJ from The Warriors. My rating for this movie, very very simple. It is a solid 5 out of 5. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to my first episode. I really appreciate it. Um, coming up in two weeks' time, we'll be looking at the Marlon Brando 1953 motorcycle game classic, The Wild One remember, be a good fella and leave a rating or review on whichever app you're listening to the show on and make sure you share it with the rest of your gang on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as G-O-H-Pod and at www.gohpod.com Most of all, make sure you say hello to your little friend for me.